you open your Bibles with me to Philippians 3, yes, we are still in Philippians 3, Confidence in Christ. This is a part three for our righteousness. Now, last week we had to, we looked at Paul and how he had to lose his accomplishments in order to gain Christ. And once he had Christ, he saw that Jesus was of surpassing worth than everything else that he had. Now this week we're going to look over some of these verses again. We're going to start, as you can see, in verse 7 and go through verse 9. And you might be thinking, this is a little overkill, right? But it's possible that one of you might be the unique individual that can hear a sermon once and have it all down. I don't know about you, but I do not fall into that category. Sometimes I need something to be told to me over and over again, the same truth, and sometimes maybe in different ways, uh, for me to understand it. But I think it's good for us to, to kind of go over some of that again, but uh, introduce some new truths that we find in, in verse 9 as well. But also is good for us because it might help us to see a little bit about how deep God's Word is. That we could go over, I could probably re-preach through this same passage again, starting, you know, in the next time I round I have of preaching and We'll probably learn some new things as well together. It's so, God's word is so deep, it's so profound, that it takes a lot of time to unpack it. And even, I'm sure, as you probably well know, uh, some of you older saints here, that you've probably gone through this passage over and over again. You probably have maybe part of it memorized and still think, wow, there's still some new things I'm learning. <laughs> there's still some new truths that I can learn for today in the state of which I'm in now as an adult versus when I was a teen versus when I was a child when I heard this for the first time. God's word is so deep. There's so much here. And uh, even though we preach this and I preached this this morning, I still think that you're going to walk away thinking that there's a little bit more that I could have tackled. And I'm sure you're, you're right. So, as we begin in verse 7, let's look at this together. We'll read 7 through 11, and then really focus in on verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful this morning that we could sing that song, His Robes for Mind, and uh, be reminded of that truth from this passage of how we get Christ's righteousness and Christ took on our sin. And what a wonderful exchange. Help us to marvel at Christ this morning. Help us to just uh, marvel at uh, the sacrifice that he made. And may we be challenged uh, to consider all things a loss compared to knowing him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you see, we're going through verse 9 for part 3. I told you at the beginning, we'll do this in three parts. We're not going to do that because I have one more week to preach. And I figure that would be awful to just 
start on verse 12 and 13, start a new section, and then just leave you hanging for months until I get to preach again. So that's why I thought I extended out a little bit more so that way we can end, Lord willing, next week. So pray that there's no snow next Sunday. That would be awful to leave you here and not finish out verses 10 and 11. I know you guys would be in a panic attack and maybe I could like Skype in the sermon or something like that to your homes. We got to finish. Okay, right. <laughs> Lord willing, we'll get there. Our big idea for this morning is that only God can make us right before him. Only God can do this. He is the only one. There's nothing that we can bring that will make us right before God in and of ourselves. It is only him. First, we learn that self-righteousness is rubbish. Now, before coming to Christ, when people are presented with this gospel of grace, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you can be saved, people have to come to the grips with the fact that their life is going to be different. Because their entire life, up until that point, who have they been living for? They've been living for themselves. They've been living for their own glory. So when presented with Christ alone can save, you now are going to be living for the glory of God. What they have to do is count the cost. They're naturally going to think, am I willing to lose this way of life? This living for myself, doing what I want when I want it, living for my own glory, for my own pleasure. Am I willing to do that in order to live for Christ? Now, Paul not only lost his status and accomplishments for Christ, after he came to Christ, he also lost a lot. If you're willing to flip back a few pages in 2 Corinthians 11, it's on page 969 of your Bible, if you want to flip back there, just a few pages. We're going to see in this passage a lot of things that Paul lost for the cause of Christ. Now, in a couple of verses here, in verse uh, 21 and also in verse 22 and 23, we see Paul talking in a different type of way. You see in verse 21 of, uh, again, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 21, he says, I am speaking as a fool. Whenever anyone else dares to boast of, he's like, I'm speaking as a fool. And he says in verse uh, 23, he says, I am talking like a madman. I felt the same way a few months ago. I was teaching the teens uh, about relationships, and I was doing it from the self-centered point of view. It was teaching from, here's the advice that you would get from a self-centered person, from a self-centered relationship, and then I would just start saying all these things, and I felt awful. You get teens, I don't know if you remember this, but I would say things, and Gunnar had, I'm saying this now because Gunnar might have video of me saying these and was going to use it for blackmail, so now I'm going to get it out there so you can't use it against me. I was saying things like, oh, if the self-centered person relationship says, don't listen to your parents. The only advice that they give you is for your harm because they don't really love you. You know, they only feed you and keep you alive just to torture you. So if they share advice with you, it's just because they want to make your lives miserable. And again, the self-centered point of view. And I would stop frequently because it just feels so wrong to say these things in front of the teenagers. I'm like, guys, I'm, that's not what I believe. It's not what the Bible says. Don't, okay, this is, I'm just play, doing a part here. I'm acting as if I'm from the, guy. don't, and Gunnar's, see, he's back there now, still recording me. Okay, don't. All right, 
Context matters, right? So I understand what Paul is saying here as he's going to share, and he's saying, I'm talking as a madman, okay? This is foolish what I'm saying here. Just so you understand what I'm saying, talking about what I'm going to boast in here, just know this really, this isn't good, okay? He's like, I'm speaking as a fool. Here we go. Here goes me speaking as a fool. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Verse 22, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. And are they servants of Christ? He says, I am a better one. He's like, again, talking as a madman. It's like, I'm not, I don't really think that I'm better than anybody else. He said, just talking as a madman. And then he goes into all the things that he suffered the loss of for Christ. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? He went through a lot for the cause of Christ, a lot of near death experiences. I've had a couple near death experiences in my life. None of them were for the cause of the Christ, they were for the cause of my own stupidity. Okay, so. I can't claim anything like that. And here he is for Christ because he's sharing the gospel with people. This is what he's enduring. Seemed like the Philippians weren't the only ones who needed to be taught this truth. Of all these things that we can do for Christ, as he says in Philippians 3, all those things that he worked for, remember his heritage that he had, he's explaining it to the Corinthians as well. You know, if you want to brag about the things you've done for Christ, look at all the things I have lost for Christ, all the things that I have went through for Christ. And then he says in verse 30, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Again, his only boast is in Christ because it shows off how awesome his God really is. So as you look over it, it's pretty easy to see that he has gone through a whole lot more life-threatening situations than we have. It's only after someone is saved that someone can look at all of that, suffering the loss, back to Philippians 3, suffering the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Not saying, look at all the things I've done, but in order to gain Christ, to count it as rubbish. It's like that feeling you get after you leave the pizza ranch buffet, right? You're like, why did I have those 10 slices of pizza and dessert? Why did I do that? Like at the the time, it sounded like a great idea. You know, they keep rolling out the pieces. It sounded good, but instant regret sets in, right? He's like, after coming to Christ, he's looking back on that former way of life. He's like, why? Counted as loss. Why did I even do that? Why was I going for that? Counts it as rubbish for the sake of Christ. Now, this word rubbish just seems like the British way of saying I don't like it. That's all that it means. But even though it sounds weird to maybe say the word rubbish, I wanted to use that word in the point um, so that we can understand what it means. It's, 
a, not just the word that you would say, I want to, it would be nice if it was out of the house, um, as if we don't want to say just to get rid of, I wanted to use this stronger word that he uses, sort of like it was used for, useful for a while, but now I don't need it anymore. That's not what the context is. Uh, we don't want to just say that it's something that uh, we're just um, getting rid of for a little bit or that it's just something that's trash now as if it was useful to us at some point. We want to, in the KJV, I think it uses the word dung. Consider it as dung. Our self-righteousness is like feces. That's a much harsher word, isn't it? It's something that you, that's not something that you want to keep around even for a little bit. It's something that's repulsive. The self-righteousness and the accomplishments where he tried to work his way to Christ are now repulsive to him. He doesn't want to have any part of that. It's once again putting our works where they should be. When we first started talking about the false teachers, he used a lot of harsh words towards them. But also, it's not only evil to proclaim this false teaching, it's also evil to live it out. It's evil to have confidence in our flesh as opposed to confidence in Christ. Now, we might not struggle with the Mosaic Law here in our church, trying to fulfill that, but there are a couple ways that we try to uh, gain this righteousness on our own accord. Even in that 2 Corinthians passage, remember in verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I am a better one, talking like a madman again. And then going on to show him all he did in the name of Jesus. So here's two ways. The first one's already up there, way early. Two ways that we often try to apply self-righteousness to the work of Christ. How do we do that? First, we try to earn God's favor. Yes, even those of us who are in Christ sometimes believe that there are things that we can do in order to earn God's favor, in order to earn more love from God like reading our Bible, going to church, serving in church, helping the poor. Again, those are all good things to do, but none of them can earn you more favor with God. And we need to make sure that we're doing these things, but we're doing them out of our love for him as opposed to trying to get more love from God. It's just another avenue of us trying to earn our salvation. Now it's just after the fact. This is what we kind of experience in relationships that we have, don't we? I don't know if you've had these before where you, they might, you might have somebody over to your house so that they have you over to their house. Or you might um, give somebody a gift and you expect them to write you a thank you note. Or you might do something nice for somebody because you want to get in their good graces. That you, we, we do things a lot of times in relationships in order to get something in return. Not always, again, not always, But we kind of have had those relationships before. I don't know if you've experienced that. But looking in the past few weeks from Philippians 3, we have to see what good can I bring to God that then he will love me? What accomplishments can I do for him that I will then earn his love in return? Let's look at a few verses here about what we bring to God. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me, even though we love those precious little ones in the nursery. They are sinners. I don't know if you guys knew that. Okay, but they are sinners. It says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This shows that anything that we do that is good, it must come from God. It's not the good that we can bring to him that we earn his love. The good that we do is because of the love that he has shown us. There's no way on our own that we can earn more favor with God. Look at this verse from Romans 8, 32. We have to think and ask ourselves, what more could we earn? Okay, we're saved from our sins. What more is out there? Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We're doing these things, these good works, in order to earn more favor from God? How could that be? He already sent Christ to pay the ultimate punishment of death on the cross for our sins. Do we expect more? Could there be more love that could ever be shown? What more is out there for God to give us? He gave us his son to think that God would then hold something back from us. How foolish is that? To think after he gave us his one and only son, to think that, oh, if I do enough good works, he'll give me more. What more is there? We have everything we need in Christ. Secondly, we try to, sometimes we try to keep God's favor. It's, if it's not in our hands, okay, we, we've gone through this. This is why it's good to go through these things over and over again in, in this passage in 3, 1 through 11. We've learned over and over again, if it's not in our hands to save us, if it's not in our good works that can earn our salvation, then why do we think it's in our hands to keep us saved? It's kind of foolish thinking as well. Some Christians might do these good works out of fear that maybe some way we'll incur the wrath of God or lose our salvation in some way. Paul says this in Galatians 5.1, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know that slavery of trying to do all the right things in order to earn your salvation? Remember how that didn't work? Trying to be good enough, it didn't work. So when Christ has set us free for freedom's sake here, now are we supposed to go back to that way of, I just need to do all these good things in order to earn God's love? It still doesn't work. Why go back to that yoke of slavery? Does this sound like a Christian should be walking around worrying about when lightning might strike them for disobedience? Again, we might joke around about that sometimes, right? Somebody says something off color, right? Or something, you're like, I'm going to stand over here because lightning is going to hit. I don't know if you've encountered that at some point. And we say that jokingly, but that's not how we're supposed to live, walking around, kind of looking around, is God going to smite me today because of something I did? Christ has set us free. Does that sound like how a free person should live? 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Keeps coming back to our confidence that's in Christ alone. If we are to live confidently in Christ, then we need not fear losing God's favor. 
losing his love. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He doesn't say, I give them temporal life or I give them eternal life for now. If it's eternal life for now and you can lose it, what is, that's the opposite of what eternal means. Do we know what eternal means? That means there's no end to it. It says, I, you'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is God, it is Christ who holds on to our salvation. So the works that we do, even the bad things that we do, cannot lose us our salvation. Romans 8, 38 and 39 say that very clearly. Nothing in heaven on earth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. We don't need to walk around in fear if, if I don't just keep this up. If I don't just, I got to be, I got to be doing the good thing and the right thing. Otherwise, God will not like me anymore. God will hate me. That is impossible. So yes, scripture talks about grieving the Holy Spirit when we sin. But when kids grieve their parents, do the parents forsake their love for their child? They say, I will never love you again. No. How much more than perfectly does God our Father continue to love us even when we fall short? We serve a gracious and loving God. Now, one of the conversations I had last week after the sermon in in the foyer when we were um, kind of just talking about the sermon a little bit and the, I posed the, the big idea of Christ is better than fill in the blank. And I was talking to a number of people who were sharing, you know what, I want to work on this. I need to grow in this area. And we're labeling out a few specifics. And I was really encouraged because as we're sharing about some of those things that like we want to work on and grow in, um, that we want to count as more important, of, uh, that we want to count less than Jesus Christ, um, nobody sounded defeated. Nobody said, oh man, there's no way that this can happen. Nobody said, you know what, I can't do it, it's impossible, God is just going to hate me forever. I was encouraged that as people were walking away from the word and challenged to to grow in Christ, that it was done, it was met with a a confidence, again, a confidence in Christ, like, yeah, if Christ works in my heart and life, yeah, I, I can grow in this area. So I hope that you see that, and I hope you see that God is gracious, even as we share some struggles with one another of like, yeah, I'm not doing this well, Uh, I have a struggle in this sin in my life, that we understand God is a gracious God. He says, in loss of all things, and we count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's look now at verse, second part of verse 9, because this righteousness, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Again, we can't earn it. It's a righteousness that is through, free through Christ. This is why we don't have to earn or keep our righteousness, because the righteousness we try to earn or keep on our own is sin. If only there was a way hmm, for us sinners could, that we could be made right with God. Hmm, if only there was a way. Look at this in the end part, last part of verse 9. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. R.C. Sproul uh, said this at a T4G conference. He says, my only hope in life and death is the righteousness of Christ. This is no abstract theological doctrine. 
This is all of it. Our only hope in life and death is the righteousness of Christ. It is not your righteous works. It is not the good things you're going to be doing because there's no hope in that. Because I'm sure every single one of us have tried that at some point. If I could just do this enough to keep God's favor, to earn God's love, I could just keep on with this, we find that we fail. Constantly. It's only in the righteousness of Christ. It's not just abstract, like he says, it's not just a nice doctrine of justification, of being made right with God as righteousness on us now. This is how we live day to day. This is how the believer can walk around with hope and encouragement and not be totally defeated. In Matthew 7, um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says to the crowd, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Talking about, didn't I do all these good things for you? Did I do, do these good works in your name, Jesus? Because then cast out demons in your name. I did do mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, <clears throat> excuse me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are so many out there who have been striving to just do the right thing and even in the name of Jesus, I'm doing this for the Lord, they're gonna find out that they fall short if they do not have the righteousness of Christ. Doesn't matter what your works are. The perfect life that we cannot live was lived by Jesus. The temptations that we give into, Jesus was without sin. He is the perfect, blameless, righteous Son of God. He is this perfect one who went to the cross to take the full wrath of God. And you can have and know Christ today. You can know him through faith. See these two points here. First, that this righteousness that we want to receive that is free, it is, comes through faith. You can receive this today. If you don't have the righteousness of Christ, this can be yours through faith. Faith, according to the dictionary, is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is really something that everyone has. It just depends on who your faith is in. So either your faith is in yourself to get you to heaven, or your faith is in Christ alone. It's one or the other. When we talk about Faith in reference to scripture and salvation. We're using the saving work of faith. And it's going to be in Christ or not. And if it isn't, then you don't have faith in him. If it's not in Christ alone. When I was in high school, um, we went sharing the gospel downtown Indianapolis and in the streets there. And uh, there was, I think it was my junior or senior year. But I remember very vividly that one of my friends came up to me. He's like, Matt, you got to come talk to this guy he, he's a Mormon. You got to talk to him. Like, okay. I'm feeling a little, little like, yeah, because I can save him. <laughs> you guys can't. So thanks for come, contacting me. So, <laughs> no, so foolish. You'll see how foolish it is, too, because here's the conversation. I asked the guy, I said, So, I know we believe different things here. I'm like, So, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Got him. He goes, Yes. Huh. Well, well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? He's like, I got him. He's like, yes. 
was like, wait. But I, we believe different things. Like, but you just said that you believe this. I believe that too. Like, what? I walked away dumbfounded. I had no response where I was like, I'll pray for you. Okay, and then <laughs> see you later. Like, I had nowhere to go. I was just lost in my mind. I could not think about what to go to next. And if I would have just asked him, do you believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, through faith in him alone for salvation? If you were honest, he would have to have said no, because they believe in works as well to earn your salvation. They believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They also believe you have to work your way to get there. You have to do things. That's why it's so important that we understand that faith alone Here's how John MacArthur describes it. Faith is the confident, continuous confession, say that five times fast, of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ. That total, that means there's nothing else that you're depending on for the necessary requirement to enter God's kingdom. Faith is more than an I hope so. It's more fingers crossed. It's assurance. Saving faith is not something you can work to get better at. It's faith alone in him, that dependence on Christ. I have this diagram. I don't know if you have a spot in your notes for this. You can draw it out or not. You don't have to if you don't want to. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this righteousness that we receive from Christ and even the uselessness of our actions. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you're thinking, yes, I want this faith. I want to have this faith in Christ. It sounds amazing to have faith in him alone for salvation. I can receive the righteousness of Christ. Well, a few things need to happen because without faith it's impossible to please him. I want to please him. All have sinned. What am I going to do? What can I do to get this faith? Now, all have sinned, and it says in Romans 3.10 that no one seeks him. Everyone has sinned. No one seeks God. So it's like, okay, then how am I going to please God if we don't do this? If this is all that I have to bring, this sin plus I don't seek him, how am I going to be able to get God's salvation? How am I going to be saved from my sins? Obviously, with that formula right there, we cannot do anything to save us from our sins. It's not of us. So what does God do? Let's look at what God does. God sends us Jesus, Romans 5, 8. For while we were still sinners, on that left side there, while we're not seeking him, while we're dead in our sins, as we uh, read those verses earlier, while we're born in iniquity, God sends Jesus. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I have the Romans 5, 8, but that shouldn't be Romans 5, 8. That should actually be Romans 10. Oh, man, here we go. 10, uh, 17, sorry, it should be Romans 10, 17. I did copy and paste, as you can tell. God sends us the word. God sends us the word. God opens our eyes. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how do we get this faith? We have to have someone share with us the gospel from the word of God. Because outside of the word of God, what do we know about Jesus? 
Do we even know the name of Jesus? This is why we have missionaries, so they can go into all the world and preach the gospel to those who have not heard about Christ. That's why we send them out. It's so that people can hear the name of Christ from the word of God. So God sends us the word. That's how we receive this faith, as he sends us the word, as he opens us, opens our eyes, and God also sends us faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God. So the faith that you have, this is what he brings to us. In order for you to be saved, God has done these things. He's already sent Christ. You are hearing the word of God right now. Now we just want to pray that God sends you faith. We pray that God would just work in your heart, that he would open your eyes to the gospel to see the truth of his word so that you might be saved from your sins. What do we bring to salvation? Nothing. We just have sin. We have shame. We have brokenness. What does God bring? Everything. If you confess with your mouth, this is you this morning, and you're like, I don't know if I have this salvation. God's word says very clearly, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today can be that day of salvation for you. And I pray that it is. This righteousness is from God. I'm going to move on. I'm sorry if you didn't get all that. You can talk to me later. I can show you the slide. This righteousness, not only is the righteousness of Christ uh, given to us through faith, but also the righteousness is from God. Again, it's not of our own doing. This is quite possibly one of the greatest and most lopsided transactions that has ever taken place in the history of the world. Not only is faith a gift from God, but with that faith, he gifts us the righteousness of Christ. It's like for Christmas, if you were to give somebody some junk you found in your attic, and they give you the righteousness of Christ. It's like if you give them your belly button lint, and they give you the righteousness of Christ. You understand how way lopsided this is? That, that we give, put all of our sin on Jesus Christ, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. It's mind-boggling. What in the world? Why would he do that? It, it brings us to those questions of, why would God do that for me? I don't know if I have an answer for that. I'm a sinner just like you are. I'm a wretched sinner. But God saved me. Maybe because he's a good and gracious God. With this faith in God that we now have the righteousness of Christ, it's a gift from God. Look at this verse from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Christ, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his, his wounds, we are healed. It's with his wounds we are healed. There's nothing that we deserve or could ever earn. It is simply a gift from God. And then he says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we sang this song earlier this morning, and I just want to bear with me as I read over these words again from the song, His Robes for Mine. Such great truths, and I hope you caught on to it as you were singing in the context of this Philippians 3, 
We can't earn our salvation. We are gifted. It's from God. The righteousness is from him. It's through faith. It says, his robes for mine. What robes are we given, Jesus? Oh, wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered. Needs God's rage. And what happens? Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. Wow. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Isn't that amazing? Also, we saying, what cause have I for dread? Wow, speaking of confidence in Christ, right? We're draped in the righteousness of God. Why do we dread? Why do we fear what God might do to us? Or think of that there might be some more wrath coming our way. Why do we walk around fearful? We are clothed in his righteousness. It says, God's daunting law. <laughs> we know what kind of law that is. Paul was blameless in all those things. He's like, I had to count it as loss. Because nobody is perfect. God's daunting law says Christ mastered in my stead. Works cannot complete it in and of ourselves. And then I love this part. Faultless, I stand with righteous works, not, not mine. You imagine that, standing before a holy God and being able to stand confidently, not because you have done anything, but because you are draped in the righteousness of Christ. You can come confidently before the Lord and stand there saying, I can be in your presence. I can be with you because of what Christ has done. And all glory and praise go to him. So how does God look at you? Because I am draped in the righteousness of Christ, that's why I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. That's why we share the gospel so often here. Because we just sometimes we're not doing it just so that somebody who's here who doesn't know Christ might hear the gospel for the first time. We share the gospel here because it's something to marvel at. It's something that we need to be reminded of over and over. This is why we take communion on a regular basis so that we can be marvel at it and be reminded of what Christ has done because it just brings him so much more glory. Again, this might not compute with our finite brains. There still might be something inside of us that says, that's great and all, but isn't there something I can do to, to help out? We have this mindset that maybe I can pay him back, or maybe I can just help out with my salvation in some way. We think we're being nice, but when God says that Jesus has already done it, he has already paid the price, we're essentially saying it wasn't good enough. It's like somebody giving you a really nice gift and you saying, I'll pay you back. It's a gift. We think here what our life might look out like from here on out. I pray that we'll be compelled by the grace and love of our Lord. I pray that we will seek to serve him, that we'll do these good works. God is, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 8, 2, 8 9, 10, is that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are to do them, not to try and keep his favor, not to earn his favor, but we do it because we love him. Only God can make us right before him. D.A. Carson says this, and oh, we're close with this. Instead, look around for those whose constant confidence is Jesus Christ, whose constant boast is Jesus Christ, whose constant delight is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of their worship, the center of their gratitude, the center of their love, the center of their hope. And he says, emulate those whose constant confidence and boast is in Christ Jesus and nothing else. That's who we're supposed to look at. Emulate those types of people. 
And for our closing song, we're going to sing, All I Have is Christ. And I'd love for you to sing it one or two ways if you're willing. Either sing it as a prayer of thankfulness, just in all-out praise to the God that all you have is Christ, and that's really all you need. Or you can sing it as a prayer of confession, saying, Lord, I want this to be true of my life. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me to make these things true, that all I have is Christ, that you are my life. Lord, help me to make it that way this week. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful and so humbled that you would send Christ to die for us lowly sinners, that you love us that much. You are gracious, you are merciful, you are good. It's nothing that we have done, nothing we can earn. It's only because of you. Thank you for giving us his righteousness, that we can stand before you justified. Oh, what a relief that is. What a great hope that, it, that is, that we can have that confidence in you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.